gonna bring my brothers to my home in the mountains. This week, Taiwan Talk travels to the mountains of Xinju County and speaks to Father Barry Martinson, a Jesuit who has lived and worked among the Atayal for decades. Martinson came to Taiwan to follow in the footsteps of his brother Jerry, known to friends and fans as Uncle Jerry or Ding Shengfu. Well, it would be an understatement to say that my brother Jerry had nothing to do with my coming to Taiwan because、uh, he came two years ahead of me, and、uh, of course I learned through his letters how how great Taiwan was and. What he was doing, and that did influence me. But I also wanted to go at that time to South America, and but there was no way of going. And so when I mentioned I was interested in Taiwan, the Jesuits sent me here, and、uh, and I, one of the reasons was that I could be with my brother. I thought the two of us、uh, in the same country might have a little better effect than being separated. And although in these years we haven't worked that much together, we've certainly been、uh, a big help to each other. So you came here because of Father Jerry, but you're not doing the same thing. You're in a very different environment, doing very different things.、Right? Yes, I.、Um, Father Jerry was、uh, always really interested in, in teaching and、uh, in theology and in really changing and changing the, the、uh, for good, you know, and making a difference in the world. I had very Uh, small ambitions compared to that. I just wanted to kind of share what little faith I had <laughs> with other people, and that was why I wanted to become a missionary to to be with people that were different from me, to to understand the culture and、uh, try to adapt to it. And so I I was always kind of attracted to the poor and to the marginalized and those that were、um, more dispossessed or hadn't. Falling through the cracks in society, and so it, it, when I came to Taiwan, I immediately、uh, became interested in the, the tribal people, the、um, indigenous groups in Taiwan, and those were the people that I felt an affinity towards. Even before I came to Taiwan, I was interested in working with Native Americans and blacks and Mexican Americans and minority groups, and so it was sort of natural that I、uh, came into this kind of work, and that was what I really loved. I wanted to. Dedicate myself, my life to to being with that kind of people. Whether I could help them or not, I wasn't sure. But I wanted to be friends and learn from them and share with them. Okay, so you've built, or you're now working in this beautiful hamlet in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> outside of Xinchu. Tell me what life was like when you first got here, or if this was always where you've been. Well, when I first came to the mountains here in northern Taiwan, in this little village called Qingchuan, it was a very、uh, lively, lively、uh, kind of a, a very, very spirited community of Taiyao Aborigines, and、uh, it was poor. And of course, we had no computer, internet, or telephone even, and so life was very simple. The road was not even paved, and、uh, there was a lot of community in that sense. We We relied on each other, and、uh, people got together and sang a lot. And there were a lot of young people and children, and they were kind of, for me, it was kind of a golden age.、Uh, it was something I really loved, and the people treated me like one of their family. And so I, I felt, from the very beginning, I felt at home, and I wanted, in a sense, to become a brother to them more than a father. But I think in the years past. 
they they looked at me as a father. They wanted me to kind of, you know, become their their symbol of of, of God for them, and and so I, I did, <laughs> kind of reluctantly. And I tried to help them then later on in any way I could to develop their their village and help them in their needs. Okay, can you talk about that development? Because the church is very unique. The, the, the church itself is quite unique here. It's it's got a lot of indigenous touches within the um, within the walls of the church itself. Can you tell me what you did in the area when you got here? Well, when I first came, I of course I was really interested in trying to make a church that was was beautiful and um, fit their culture. And I am artistic, and I've been given a few artistic gifts. So I spent many many years on the church and trying to uh, beautify it, make it uh, full of tribal uh, elements and people and windows stained glass and but as the years went on I, I realized that I don't want to just continue uh, concentrating on the church I want to try to make the whole village if I can uh, beautiful too and, and it was at that time pretty pretty distressed pretty dilapidated and I wanted to make it uh, together with the people something really beautiful for God and uh, so the last 20 years or so we've been working on different projects making each part of the village as beautiful as it can be and as cultural and with murals and uh, statues and, and painting the houses and fixing the roads and, and doing everything to try to make it a, a really lovely village and I think we succeeded it's, it's just a, a lot better than it used to be and hopefully the people uh, are proud of it too and make a it'll make a difference in their lives what kind of work did you have to do? I mean, did you have to speak to government? Did you get any support at all from officials about building things, or was it mostly through private? I'm seeing you smile. Mostly through private initiative. <laughs> it was kind of a miracle. You know, I, I didn't have any money, and I've, I've kind of stupidly, in my first years, uh, I never made any friends with rich people. All my friends were poor. I didn't have any money at all. But I did have a talent, and I, and I started on stained glass, and... When I decided I, I think that the village really needs to be renovated, uh, I, I just started working, making stained glass uh, panels for selling selling them. And uh, it turned out people really loved them. And I, I couldn't believe how much money we got from the this, this stuff I was making. Where do, you, where do you find the stained glass panels now? Well, I, I I made them, you know, out of. Oh, no, we we sold them uh, um, through different exhibitions. So there's friends of mine. We had three exhibitions all together and sold uh, over a hundred panels. I had some people helping me, some from different tribes, that also uh, learned how to do this kind of work. And so a lot of the money we got was through um, these stained glass panels that we sold to people, individuals, and then we started making churches, you know, stained glass for churches too. And anyway, a lot of a lot of that, you know, became kind of a very successful. And and then I started writing, and then my books uh, kind of dovetailed with my stained glass, and and eventually we just started getting a lot of money for for our projects, and we were able to renovate practically the whole village. So it was like a, I don't know how it happened, but it seems like when you do something good, it's like a, a whirlwind. Uh, everything starts multiplying and, and becoming more and more, and people want to help. And, and so it turned out that we, we were able to do a lot. And uh, 
because I think it was something good. If you had a list of things that you want to see for the village and for the people here, what would that list entail? Well, first of all, I, I would really hope that people that live here can find work to do because one of the reasons why a lot of young people and young married couples move down to the to the plains, to the cities, is because uh, they can't uh, find enough work to sustain them here in the village. And I think a sustainable life is important where you live. And so uh, that would be one of my dreams is that people here could always find work to do. And because there is a uh, kind of a low-key tourist uh, uh, industry here, uh, there's a lot of um, bed and breakfasts and uh, people sell things, you know, for people to eat, tourists and travelers. And so this, there's, there's actually ways to, to, for people to make uh, a living here. Uh, and I think it's, they can live very sustainably, very cheaply, more than they can in the city. It's just that the, the big lights, the, the educational opportunities, the uh, excitement of the city, you know, can draw them away. Uh, so my dream would be that people can find in their own village, uh, you know, what they need to sustain them. Meanwhile, I, uh, for me, uh, I, I enjoy the peace and quiet of being able to write and do artwork and music uh, so that I can... Uh, express myself in these ways and even though there are not a lot of people that you know come in contact with my works uh, it still gives me a chance to express myself and and do something that I feel is meaningful in it and if you ask me probably what I'm proudest of I would say would be my books my books uh, because that's me that's more than and when I work on development projects it's for helping people but it's you know, it's for them and everything, but it's not really me. When I'm doing my writing, it's 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 a uh, absolutely 100 percent from my heart and from my life, and uh, and that's what's uh, I guess I'm proudest of. How many books have you written? I've written about 15 books, wow. and and uh, of all different types: children's stories, uh, autobiography, uh, uh, mostly travel and memoirs. Uh, and uh, some have been in, translated into Chinese. Uh, the lady that got me started was a famous writer called San Mao. Maybe you've heard of her, Echo Chun. And uh, she, we met, and she liked my writing, and she translated my first three books. And they became bestsellers because of her name. Well, a lot of people never even realized that I wrote the books. They just figured she did. And anyway, uh, she did inspire me and, and uh, gave me the impetus to keep writing. And so I've been writing ever since. And, and uh, this is something I love. And I can do, I can do a, because I have a lot of free time. And I like to work in the evenings. And, and I don't have a lot of pressure. And it's just a really, really uh, wonderful gift, I think, that I have for being able to tell stories, mostly tell stories. Last question. Taiwan has benefited a lot from the Martinson brothers. How do you think you and Father Jerry will be remembered by the people of Taiwan? You've spent 40 years, you and collectively, 50 years, you and Father Jerry. That's a long time, right? 
how do you think the people will remember you? And I know that you're both very much loved in the communities that you've served and the people that you've worked with. Well, I, I've always felt my brother is uh, uh, the famous one. <laughs> He's the one that uh, I think really captured the heart of so many people in Taiwan, and and they always look to him as as their friend and sometimes their best friend. He uh, he was able to project that to people and uh, and just have a very loving persona that people I think were looking for. In my sense, it's a little different. I think that people will probably look at me as a person that spent uh, most of his life uh, living with the poor and uh, sharing their lives and maybe not accomplishing that much, but just uh, being able to endure and and enjoy living with a, a very small tribe of people that uh, like a family. And hopefully they'll remember some of the things we did, like like my brother's uh, documentaries and films, his works that he spent so much time on, and, and also my books and my, my music CD and my artwork and uh, things that are important to me might live on after we've passed away. You are listening to Father Barry Martinson, and that does it for this edition of Taiwan Talk. Thank you for tuning in. To my home in the mountains, gonna bring my sisters, oh, to my home on the hill.